Well, how are we doing today? We good? Okay. I'm excited that you are here as well, whether you're joining us, you know, here on site or whether you're joining us online, you know, thanks so much for being, being here. God has us here for a reason today. Two things have happened this week that has allowed me to be here with you. First, as almost all of you know, I finally tested positive for COVID, you know, a little over 10 days ago now. Uh, I got a chance to try to fulfill my punch card. I was up to 10 because I know the 11th test you get free and uh, I failed, you know, on my 10th test. And so uh, after quarantining, you know, for more than five days, I'm okay to be here. But sadly enough, not enough time is going to be able to be a pass for me to head to Kenya, you know, this Saturday. So just pray for the, for the Kenya team. Uh, secondly, many of you know, we were supposed to have a guest speaker on this weekend, uh, Dr. Joe Grana, you know, but he called me on Wednesday that he had some big health concerns, uh, not COVID-related, that his family was facing, and he wasn't able to attend. So while you're thinking about it, please take some moment to pray for Dr. Joe Grana and his family. So that put us in some unusual circumstances for today. So sorry, you are stuck with me all weekend. So I apologize, you know, about that. Uh, but, but we'll get through, we'll get through this together. Now next week, I promise you, well, I can't promise anything in this day. Uh, we have uh, John Moten, who will be here this next weekend, uh, who's becoming kind of a church favorite. If you've ever heard from uh, John speak, he's come and spoke a couple different times as he wraps up our series together. Then in two weekends, uh, we are having our first uh, Vision Sunday, Vision Weekend, I should say, Thursday and Sunday, you know, uh, of the year. We're going to look to see what does it look like. We have a real sense, you know, that we're going to be coming out of COVID. I know people have said that before, but I've got a sense that we're actually going to be coming out of what does that mean for us individually, and what does it mean for us as a church? And so I want to make sure that you're here as we look into that, and as you've already heard, you know, DNA also is that weekend. You know, on the 6th is a chance for you to say, you know what, I'm in, I'm drawing my line in the sand, I want to be a part of a church family, I don't just want to attend church, I want to be part of the church. What does that look like? What does that mean? And so as you heard from the video, this is what this looks like. Now, as we've gone through this series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, I want to make sure that we resource you uh, in ways that are just going to really help you continue on in this journey. So in addition to weekend services, in addition to life groups, we have a book, you know, that's for sale in our lobby, you can find it on Amazon on, you know, if you're watching online, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. In addition to that, there's two other resources I want to make sure that you're aware of. The first is that there's a five-day devotional on version under the same title. And so maybe you and a friend want to kind of go through this together. What a great way to apply some of the things that we've already talked about. Lastly, there's a podcast that has actually been put out there, 10 episodes. It's a new podcast called Fight, Hustle, and Hurry. And so it's another way to reinforce if you're driving and you're like, you know, I just want to be reminded, you know, of some of the things that we've learned from God's word as we go through this. These are just some extra resources for you. You know, uh, again, we we're talking about all of this because all of us suffer from what's called hurry sickness. And the cure to hurry sickness is to follow Jesus' words, but also to follow the way he lived. And our core verse for this entire series has come from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, how do we do this? 
Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find as a result of doing these things, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. So, so far, to combat hurry sickness, which is really an American, you know, overdone phenomenon that we're facing, and we've already covered the importance that Jesus, how he modeled silence and solitude. So week one, we specifically talked about creating space every single day to spend time in the presence of God. To say, can we carve out that time and that space? And, and I just prayed that you've not just heard it here, but we've actually applied it to our lives because it really does make a difference. Now, if you were here during that time when I spoke a couple weeks ago, then you'll remember that I made a case that it is impossible to do what we call effective multitasking. In other words, you cannot do two things at once at the same level that you could do by doing one thing at a time. Now, many of you can try to do a lot of things, but if you're trying to look up something on your phone while trying to listen to someone else, one, you're not going to listen as well as you could, or two, you're not going to research on your phone as well as you could because you're focusing on listening. That would just be one example. Now, the reason I mention this is because I received a message from Chris Johnson this week who wrote me this. Dan, I was thinking about you this morning and kind of chuckling because a few weeks back you said that people just can't multitask. I have a story for you and I hope it makes you laugh. I was putting away groceries in my refrigerator and I was talking to my daughter Riley through FaceTime so I had my phone propped up in the refrigerator. I successfully, by the way, unloaded all of my groceries while still talking to Riley. I had my earpiece in so I could hear her, and then I shut the refrigerator door on her, and all of a sudden I hear, Mom, you shut me in the refrigerator. She said, I laughed so hard that I couldn't even talk anymore. It was so funny. See, I guess I really can't multitask well. And so thank you, Chris, you know, for proving my point. You don't want to lock your friends in the refrigerator. And so that's the point of that story. So I do hope, honestly, that, that most importantly, you're pulling yourselves from the busyness of our days, not trying to do everything, and spending time with Jesus. Secondly, last week we talked about the importance of how Jesus taught and modeled Sabbath. Specifically, creating a block of time, working towards 24 hours each week to rest, to, to celebrate, to delight, and to worship God. And the premise is, can we trust that God can do more by us working six days than we can do by working seven days? Can we trust that God can do more in six days than we could do in seven days? So as we start today, one of the issues that we have that leads to hurry sickness in our culture is specifically our calendars are too full, and we live in a society where you're never content with what you have. You're always being sold that you need just something a little bit more. You need to have more of, and you can kind of fill in the blank. So today is going to be hard, and I, and I don't like this one any more than I like the first two, because this one hits me especially hard, because Jesus is going to model for us something called simplicity. Simplicity is another cure for hurry sickness. Now, I found three definitions 
that I love that was given by three brilliant people that I think we, we can understand simplicity a little bit more. See if you might gravitate towards one or the other. Simplicity, or another way to say simplicity is minimalism, is the intentional promotion of the things that we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. And that was given by a guy by the name of Joshua Becker. So what he's saying is that we need to promote, we prioritize the things that are most valuable and then remove the things that get in the way of that which is most valuable. I'm like, that's a good definition. Uh, Another definition is simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions towards what matters most. And that was by Richard Foster and Mark Scandrett. I like this because our issue is not just external, it's an internal issue that we have when it comes to this idea of hurry, and we've got to simplify, simplify, simplify in our lives. But my favorite definition by far, by one of the most wisest men that I know, is this. Simplicity, intentionally choosing less so that you can enjoy the best. And that was by a guy by the name of Dan Shields. You know, pretty good looking too, I want to say. No, I'm so simple-minded that I'm like, okay, these are great definitions, but I just need to boil it down and make it simpler and simpler. So in simplicity, intentionally choosing the best so that you can enjoy, intentionally choosing less so that you can enjoy the best. You know, reduce so that you can actually experience the best of what life has. But it's going to have to take some intentionality. It's going to have to take some effort because everything in our society is going to work against that when it comes especially to your calendar and when it comes to your resources. See, Jesus lived and taught a life of simplicity, of simplicity. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he tells us this is how you do it. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and then trust God that he's going to give you everything that you need. And the context, it's interesting because people have said that verse before and like, seek the kingdom of God above all else and then he's gonna give you all that you need. And we use that for a myriad of different things, but the context in which Jesus is talking about has solely to do with what we have in life. Specifically, what we eat and what we wear. And then he says, trust God in all of these things. So can we prioritize Jesus and his kingdom in our church? in our work, in our relationships, in our calendar, in our resources, and it's a matter of trust. See, Jesus modeled and taught the priority, let's start with the first one, of resources. And so you've heard this before. He says, Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Then he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. What he's saying, what he's not saying is having money is wrong. There is nothing wrong with that. Or having stuff is wrong. But what he's saying is the priority, the devotion of our lives is in the pursuit and is in the elevation, the priority of money or resources. Because if it is, you will inevitably find yourself in a state of hurry. Uh, Let me give you an example. In our country, our eyes oftentimes are bigger than our paychecks. Our eyes are bigger than our paychecks. So we see things that we want. We see that newer, better, 
bigger, you fill in the blank, right? It could be something, a home. It could be a car. It could be a remodel. It could be clothes. It could be a tech gadget. It could be a new pet. It could be a hobby. You know, there's so many different things. And what do we do? Our eyes get big. We want that. We even have been sold marketing that we might need that in our lives for whatever reason. And so what do we do? We buy that. And we live in a country that offers many different ways of credit in order to get that in which we think that we want or we need. And so then we leverage ourselves, oftentimes putting things on a credit card, and then what happens? Think about it. And so what happens is, is we buy that in which we think that we want, and so we get that into our lives, but then what do we have to do? We have to maintain or add more hours to our work schedule or ask our spouse or somebody else to add hours to theirs, thus increasing the pace of our lives and causing us to hurry more than we ever were designed to hurry. See, it's the result of how we manage the resources in which God has given us. And understand that our society, based on how our economics even run, is always gonna push that enough is never enough. <laughs> Let me give you my own story. Uh, when Caroline and I were newly married, um, uh, we bought our first home. And we just couldn't believe it. Five years into marriage, we were able to buy a home in the greater Sacramento area. And so she thought it would be a good idea to have a table. And I'm like, what's the big deal? Cardboard is fine. She's like, Dan, we need to have a table, a nice table, one that could actually last for a while. And so I was like, okay, let's go look and shop for a table. And she says, no, it needs to be a nice one, one that's going to last. And so we spent a little bit more than I wanted to. But because she wanted it, I was like, okay, let's get the table. And by the way, we still have this table 20 years later. So we still have this table. And so then I thought in my obviously wise and rational mind, if you get what you want, it's now my turn to get what I want. So I said, I want a new truck because that's obviously equal, you know, to what you got as a table. And I said, so let's have a conversation about that. And so I was, I just wore her down over time. And I remember going into the Toyota dealership in Auburn, California specifically. And I remember walking in and going, I'm here to buy a brand new Toyota Tacoma. Hot off the press. I'm just like, this is awesome. Well, they looked at my credit. They looked at all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm trying to stick to a, a monthly payment because I wasn't wise enough to figure out how much the entire car costs. I was just thinking about, well, how much can I afford each month? And I knew that we probably could afford, you know, $250 or so at that point in our marriage, you know, per month. But even that would be really stretching us. I mean, we would have to cut back on some other things in our lives. And so when they presented it to me, they're like, well, here's a five-year brand new Toyota Tacoma that you can finance, but it's going to cost you like $350 a month. And I'm like, well, that's too much. They're like, well, how about six years? I'm like, well, what does that lower it to? And they're like, uh, 290 and I was like, can you do anything else? And like, we can go seven years. Now, this is at a time where it's unheard of, you know, that they actually went up to 76, you know, seven and a half years of financing for me to get to about 275 per month. So I drive off the lot with an over seven year, you know, a loan payment, you know, with a car that I have no idea how much it actually costs because I didn't care. It was about how much it cost per month. And so I walk off to that. And, and for the next couple weeks, I felt awful because every time Carolina wanted to do something, I'm like, we can't afford it. You know, I'm like, well, can we go out to eat? Nope, can't afford it because we got to pay for this truck. 
you know, and your table. Um, we can't afford it. You know, because the combination of the two, you know, is just going to be too much. And, and so, um, luckily for me, you know, six months later, uh, uh, CarMax kind of bailed us out. And so we still had to, lost a couple thousand dollars on it. But it could have been far, far worse. But what a reminder to me of how much stress that caused in our marriage and how much more I started thinking about my job and started asking Carolina, well, maybe you're gonna have to work some more and you're gonna have to actually get a different job than one that's gonna pay a little bit more. Why? So that we can afford what we think that we need. And I don't think I'm the only one. One of the reasons we find ourselves in such hurry is because we're not following the principles of Jesus when it comes to resources we're following the principles of our eyes. And it finds ourselves in this cycle where we find ourselves inwardly anxious and worried about resources and outwardly trying to keep up with the Joneses. And we've seen this time and time and time again. Uh, you've heard me say this <clears throat> you know, before, uh, that uh, the, the fastest, one of the fastest growing industries in our country today is storage units. Storage units. We see and we want more. I've told you that you can look it up yourself. Then in America today, today, our average size home is twice the size of the average size home in 1950. And our families are a third the size less. We have larger houses than we've ever had in American history. We have smaller families than we've ever had in American history. And yet, it's still not enough. It's not enough. So what Jesus is teaching so often when it pertains to resources, this is why he knows you know, that it's tied, that this idea of money and possessions competes with God's priority in our lives. Is there anything wrong with money? No. Is there anything wrong with making a lot of money? Absolutely not. Never does it say that anywhere in the Bible, but it does say about priorities, and as we're talking about this lesson, we need to make sure we can trust God with things that are essential. Now, it's interesting because we read this, if you read this in the context, like I told you of this passage, what, what happens in verses 25 to 32 is he says, Jesus says, don't worry about everyday life. Don't worry about your food, your drink, your clothes, and what to wear. Look at the birds and look how God provides. Now, for most of you here and most of you online, that's not what you worry about. We have people in our area who worry about this. We have a homeless population. You know, we've got a group of guys that go down once a month, you know, on a Saturday, usually after men's breakfast and sometimes more often, and they go down to help those who do worry about that. Like, where am I going to get my next meal? Where am I going to sleep? What am I going to wear? But I have been here for almost seven years, and I don't get many prayer requests saying, I don't know what I'm going to eat today. I don't get many prayer requests, you know, from you guys that say, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight, or I don't know what I'm actually going to wear. Well, some of you guys believe that, but it's just because you have so many options. You know, I don't know what I'm going to wear today. I'm just picking on some of you gals. You know, so, uh, so uh, the problem, though, you know, again, is not those things. The problem for many of us, you know, on a regular basis is a lack of contentment. That's what the core, it's lack of contentment. Let me be clear. It's not about how much money or how many things you have or don't have. The core of it is simply contentment. For, for, for in Philippians chapter 4, it says these words. Paul says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing 
or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We like to take that verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and apply it to everything else except for this. Because what Paul is talking about, he's like, I find contentment because I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I find contentment because Christ is my priority and everything else is secondary. Now, not only did Jesus model and focus on resources, but he modeled and focused on the importance of each day. Right? You know this. Matthew 6, 34, the very next verse after seek first the kingdom of God is so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We waste so much time on things that don't matter and we find ourselves hurrying in the areas that should matter the most when it comes to our life and our schedule. And again, easier for me to tell you than it is for me to apply when it comes to all the things that we're talking about. Again, it's not about adding more things to do. It's about prioritizing the right things at the right times. So here's what we want to do as we wrap up these next few minutes. Two ways to simplify our lives. Thus, reducing the need to worry. So two ways to simplify our lives, thus reducing the need to worry. Okay, this is where I should really start registering home. How do I do this? First, can you simplify your time? Simplify your time. Align your time to what is most valuable. Now, how do I do that? How do I focus my attention on what matters most? Here's the first thing. Look at your schedule and remove two or three things now. Can you look at your calendar and remove, to reduce hurry in our life, we have to cut down and say no to a few things. Now, here's what will help you determine what to take out. Take a blank piece of paper, get on a computer, write up your ideal week with first things first. If you have a blank calendar in a week, what would you put in first? I'm gonna give you a hint. Time with God, okay? Put time with God in your calendar. Put time with your family, people you love, second. Put your work stuff, third, and go down the list of priorities in your life, and it'll become very apparent about what is the extra that you don't need to be having in your calendar that's actually creating an unnecessary need to hurry when it comes to yours in my life. But start with God. In other words, don't sign up for four sports at one time. That kills you as parents. Because your kid is coming, but the coach says, and we need to have to, and that kind of stuff. Let me just break it to you. None of your kids are going to the NFL. <laughs> the likelihood, you might as well just buy lotto tickets and save yourself a lot of time and heartache. I have two kids very involved in sports, so I understand what's being asked, and I understand the involvement and the passion. I have a kid who's playing football in college. I understand all of these things and the pressures that are there, but you have to put some boundaries around what you're saying yes to. Say yes to. And for those of you who have a hard time to say no, either because you feel like you're letting people down or you have FOMO, fear of missing out, Understand that every time, 
Every time you say no to something, you're actually saying a greater yes to something else. You're reinforcing the priority. Let me give an example. When some of you or other people want to meet with me on Fridays at about 12 or 12.30, I consistently say no. Now, I'm actually not saying no to you. Do you realize what I'm saying? I'm saying yes to my wife over and over and over again. And what by doing that, what I have said is I am prioritizing her in my schedule above whatever it is that you or my kids or their teachers or somebody else has without, without, with great exception to that rule. And so by saying no, I'm actually saying a greater yes to a higher value at that point. And unfortunately, the people and the things that have higher priority in our lives, unfortunately, sometimes get the leftovers in our lives. In fact, every six months, this is a habit that I do. Every six months, I pull out my calendar and I begin to say, who's controlling my calendar? Am I in control or have I allowed everything else to be in control? Right? I'm sure I'm not the only one when it comes to this. It's amazing to me how it, things creep in for a myriad of different reasons. And I have to stop and pull back. And I say, God, what is the priority in this season? Because I'm only one person with 24 hours in the day, and I need to write down some of these things in the priority, and then see what time is left, and then try to live open-handed with you at the center. And I'm sure some of you need to do the same things. Here's where I know that I'm getting out of whack, is uh, I've started to implement this year, I try to do a 15-minute rule. My 15-minute rule is I need to try to create 15 minutes between every meeting that I have. Because it allows me to think about, pray about, and process what just happened, and to think about, pray about, and process, and plan, what am I going to next? Okay, Here's where I know, ding, 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 Dan, you're out of balance, is when I don't have enough time to go to the bathroom. You ever had that happen? Where you're like running from meeting to meeting to meeting, where I have to apologize. I'm sorry, I'll be there in a second, I just have to go use the restroom. How sick is that? Right, You're in such a pace of my calendar that one is running into the other because I've not been disciplined along these lines to slow down. The second thing is to simplify your treasures. Can we align the money that God has give, given us and the resources he's provided to what's most valuable? How do I do that? Well, step one, put together and follow a budget. The first part's easy. The second part's painful, right? Here, here's, here's what I can tell you. Uh, most people who've never done this completely underestimate how much it costs to go out to eat and to have coffee on a regular basis and how it blows the budget. Here, here's what's fascinating. You, if you've, those of you who've been you know, just in the work field for a little while, isn't it interesting that even if you make more money, it doesn't feel like that you're actually making more money? And, and I was talking to somebody about this you know, earlier today. And what he said that he's noticed in his life is that everything just kind of expands a little bit. It'd be one thing to say, well, yeah, Dan, because you went out and bought a new Toyota Tacoma, and now your old budget's all jacked up. He says, that's not usually what happens to most people. What happens to most people is you just, you, you go to a little bit nicer restaurants than you used to. Uh, the, the clothing's uh, get just a little bit nicer. The, the things that we buy for the kids are just a little bit nicer. And the more money we make, we just, we, just, we just add a little bit more to that. And we're always hitting that ceiling. Because we've never simplified. We've never realized, you know, what it is that we're really spending, which is what budgets really help with. 
Some of you need to go to Financial Peace University. We offer that you know, at least once a year. Super helpful to walk through what does it look like for a budget. Uh, secondly, start to give regularly and see what happens when God is first. Work towards a tithe, just as which is a 10%. Luke 6, 38, Jesus says this, give and it will be, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. We talked about this last week when we looked at two case studies as we looked at the Sabbath and we looked at Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby, the two busiest days of the week for retail and fast food and both of them closed their stores and yet actually God has blessed them more than the average stores in America, which is just insane. It doesn't work. It shouldn't work. The bottom line doesn't make sense. Neither does it when it comes to giving. What God is saying, can you trust me to do more with your 90% than you can do with 100%? That's what we're saying. And every person I've ever talked to, when it comes to giving, nobody can afford to give. That's the whole point. We can't afford to give, just like we can't afford to take a Sabbath as well. But I've never talked to anybody who has practiced the habit of giving consistently, who didn't see how God actually provided in that month and every month and all year long. It's just a fascinating to see that. The only people who say, I don't believe that, are the people that are not doing it. And it's the same thing when it comes to rest. When it comes to Sabbath, it's doing things that are counter-cultural. And it's amazing. This church is so amazing. I want to remind you again, you know, we had this Christmas Eve offering, and I told you last week, you know, that our goal was $200,000. And we had over $385,000 that came in. And we were just like, what in the world is happening? And I told you, it's not a surprise to God. You know, because people are just being generous to be like, I'm going to give to God. I'm going to actually put him, you know, first in my resources. I'm going to give above and beyond to be able to do this. And we're trying to figure out, God, you, this wasn't a surprise to you. You know where this money's going to come from. But I need to tell you something happened this week. Okay. It increased again. And so as of, you know, right before this meeting, they came and told me like, Dan, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what happened? They're like, we're almost close to $450,000 that has been given towards joy to the world. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, this is incredible. You know, as as people have just been passionate about this, they're like, all right, God, you know, what does this look like? You know, as a church, we want to be obedient to say, this is going to go outside the walls, and we're going to see what God's going to do, you know, with all of the wells that are going to be built. But then in addition, what are other things that God's calling us to do? I don't know. Keep praying about it. Ask and answer. This is the next thing. What will this truly cost me before buying something, especially something significant? What will this truly cost me? Now, I'm not talking about money. Do you understand that every time we buy something, it actually costs us more than just money? If you buy something in a hobby, let's say you say, I'm going to buy a fishing rod. It's not going to cost you just to spend money on a fishing rod. Because you're actually, I'm going to assume, use the fishing rod. So you're actually going to go fishing, which is going to cost you time. And so how much time is that going to cost you? And that could be great. It could be a great investment of time and of resources. But understand so much of the things that we buy or that we purchase costs more than the bottom line of the dollar. 
And if we stop and think, especially on our Sabbath, before I buy major purchases, that this purchase is actually going to cost me a lot more than I realize beyond money, and it's going to create a sense of hurry in my life, because obviously for me to get my value out of this, i got to use it, whatever it is. You know, it could be a second home for some of you. It could be a four-wheeler. It could be, you know, something else. You're like, well, again, it's not going to sit in the garage and the amount of time it's going to take to upkeep. There's nothing wrong with having any of those things. What you need to process through, though, is how much will this truly cost me before buying something? See, the drive to possess is an engine for hurry. Alan Fadling said that. Lastly, before we wrap up, Go through your home and minimize, okay? Do we really need to have storage units, right? Do we really need to have all of these things? Give things away. Get three buckets. Give away, sell, and throw away. And if you go through like closet by closet and begin to minimize, you know, on a regular basis, you will be shocked at how emotionally attached that you are to things, especially when you start thinking about getting rid of those things. My wife and I have gotten a couple different arguments about some sweet shirts that I think I own. And she's like, that's hideous. I'm like, but it's awesome because I wore it in the 1990s when I was playing basketball 50 pounds ago. And so I want to keep it. She's like, why? There's no point. You already have enough memorabilia from that kind of stuff. And so we, we argue about these things. So we finally got to a point where we said, in our house, we try to do this once or twice a year, we try to go through our entire house that if we have not used... Or we not worn something in six months that it needs to go. That God must have it for somebody else, for them to use or them to wear if it's been that long. Now, if you're like, six months, that's crazy. Do a year then and go through things. You might have, you know, things if you got kids that are older. You realize there's some little kid stuff that somebody else could use. There's so many things that we have that we can just be able to give away or to sell, or in many cases, we just need to toss. But don't tell, tell, don't tell my wife I said that. You know, that's between us, you know. See, the goal isn't just to declutter your closet or garage. It's but to declutter our life. That's what it means to simplify. So what will you do this week to simplify your time and treasures? Why? so that we can ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Follow God's will, God's way, and find yourself in this situation. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the promise. But are we willing to go on the journey to experience that in our life? The choice is yours. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn once again another discipline, another way that we can ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Help us, Father, to prioritize you. Father, when it comes to resources and when it comes to our time, when it comes to our calendar, Lord, just thank you so much for everyone who's here and everyone who's watching at home. I just pray that you would just allow us to truly continue the conversation and to make some decisions that will affect us and others for good. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.